Hey there, and welcome to the Death to Vanilla podcast. I'm Steven Burkhart, the host of the show and the founder of Burkhart Creative Agency. If you're looking for fresh ideas and tactical advice on how to take your marketing to the next level, you have come to the right place. We interview industry professionals who teach us how to courageously create, boldly innovate and experiment, and they teach you to do the same. Now we are super grateful that you're here and watching, but if you're looking to get off your phone and have a little less screen time, we have an audio only version of the show and we have links to that show in the description below. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Wanna cause no problems. I just wanna live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, but you know when you see imposters. We know how to read them faces, same way you know how to read them comments. If you wanna talk, let's talk, but right here, make sure you're walking your talk is constant. Well, hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Death of Vanilla podcast, where we talk about people who are innovating, they're in the marketing space, and they're just doing things different, so they stand out, so they get noticed instead of get ignored, because let's be honest, that's really the only two choices businesses have these days. There's so much content out there. There's so many people vying for attention. There's, you know, millions and if not billions of dollars in ads being spent. And so doing something that's different that actually makes you stand out is very valuable. And so I'm super excited to have Amelia on here. Uh, she has uh, her own agency with personal branding that she's founded. She's posting literally multiple times a day on LinkedIn. I know this for a fact because I follow her and she is just constantly blowing it up with really quality work. And so I'm excited to have her on the show. So Amelia, if you could introduce yourself a little bit and just share a little bit about what you've been doing recently, I think that'd be amazing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, so what do I do? I am basic, I basically brand people, not businesses, I think is like the easiest way to put it. Um, we are a personal branding agency. So we're an outsourced personal branding function. So we work with CEOs, um, leadership teams, founders of you know everything from fintech all the way up to Fortune 100 businesses on, on basically building thought leadership and authority in their space as an individual as opposed to as a business. Um, the reason we do this and, you know, um, we can dig into the kind of specifics of it later on, I'm sure. But the reason we do this is we know for a fact that individuals have 10x the reach of a company brand online. And so if you have individual thought leaders within your business, your company is going to be in front of the people that you, you want to get in front of a lot easier than if you're just pushing out branded content on your company page. And if you come at it from kind of the thought process of, you um, Seth Godin, who like I'm sure you either love or you hate, I personally think he's great. Um, yes. You know, he talks about like tribe marketing, right? Like you're getting into the tribe, you're influencing people from within those communities using personal branding than just mass marketing them to them from above. And we all know that mass marketing these days, like there's trust issues involved with consumers and like people think it's like not as authentic. And so what better way than to leverage the people that already are in your business to get in front of the people that you want to be get in front of? Absolutely. Well, and you know, one thing that like, I know, I feel like for me, it's emotional. So maybe you can help put some logic behind it, especially since like, you guys are like really hanging your hat on the fact that people have more reach than companies is I, I ended up building or, you know, I had been in the process of building a personal brand because I felt like it was just less um, like, that people just didn't really want to hear from a brand as much as they'd want to hear from a person. And so even though I'm the face of my business, having a personal brand, I felt was like kind of sidestepping that stigma or whatever. Um, so that's kind of like why I did what I did, but I'd be kind of curious if you maybe have a much better reason logically <laughs> of why that is the case, why people have so much bigger reaches than companies. Cause let's be honest, like 
companies are the ones spending the big money for the reach. And yet you're saying that people actually have the much farther reach. And so why, why is that? I mean, if we, if we look at some examples first off and then dig into why, like you look at Sarah Blakely who found, founded Spanx. She has like 1.7 million followers on LinkedIn. Her company has like 50,000 or the company she just sold, Spanx has 50,000. You look at Dan Price at Gravity Payments. He has half a million followers. His company has 35,000. You look at Michael Dell. Michael Dell has millions of followers. Dell Technology has like 75,000 or 100,000. So already we can start to see that there's definitely a correlation between faces being more interesting to follow than, than brands. Um, if we dig into why that might be, I think it's quite simply people buy from people. People people find it a lot easier to resonate, to connect, to um, find something in common with an individual than a brand. Like there is a reason why companies like Gymshark have leveraged influencer marketing and also created influences within their business and they've invested so heavily in building a culture of personal branding because they understand fundamentally that consumers buy exactly the same way from a brand as they would do from you know taking a recommendation from their friend they want to feel like it's trustworthy and that it's real and that um you know there's an actual person behind that thing and so i think that's why certainly personalities within a business have got much further reach than a company brand just simply because it's a lot easier to trust me than it is to trust a faceless logo right um a faceless yeah. logo is a choice amongst many an individual is the choice so i guess that begs the next question which is obviously people for a long time have been the face of their business right so like steve jobs in a way has like a personal brand right but it was never I don't think he pursued it as much on his own as much as he was the face of Apple. So like, what do you see as like the differences and as far as like how you're presenting yourself and then as far as like impact, how does that work between like being the face of or like having a standalone? I think they're one and the same. Like there's just, so, it's kind of semantics really. Like Steve Jobs, he might not have realized what he was doing was personal branding, but he knew what he was doing was marketing. There's a reason why he wore a black polo neck top every single day. There's a reason why he wore the same Levi jeans every single day. There's a reason why he had those glasses and they were the same for 30 odd years because he had, that was his brand aesthetic. That's what was instantly recognizable as Steve Jobs. He was a marketing genius. Let's not get it, you know, confused. Like this guy knew oh, yeah. what he was doing. He knew what he was saying when he was on stage and on, you know, revealing all these Apple products. He knew how to market to people. He completely disrupted the way in which we view technology instead of making it kind of, you know, like open loop, he completely closed the loop. And so if you bought Apple products, you only could buy Apple products. You couldn't like plug it into all the kind of stuff. So he's a marketing genius, whether or not he knew what he was doing was personal branding or not as a, as a, as a kind of idea, he knew he was marketing himself, just like Elon Musk knows he's marketing himself, just like Mark Zuckerberg knows he's marketing himself. And, you know, Jacqueline Gold in the UK and like all these people who've got really big quote unquote faces of company brands, they know what they're doing. They're spending millions, if not more, on making sure that they are at the forefront of their businesses. I just think back then it was a lot easier to do that because no one else was doing it, right? It was kind of, you know, you've got to think of the time in which Apple and Microsoft, et cetera, came up in the world. Like they were the young, interesting, cool companies that were being led by these disruptive founders. And so, of course, people gravitated towards these people. And I mean, Steve Jobs is a pretty um, captivating person. If you've ever seen any of his speeches yes. now, 
we have the internet, right? So it's gone from being for me to understand who Steve Jobs is and, and, and kind of really buy into him as an individual. I have to look at pictures or paper cuttings in a, in a newspaper or watch him on TV. I can now access his kind of modern day equivalent on Instagram. I can watch his TikToks. I can see him on LinkedIn. I now have a connection with that person that I never would have had before. So even though he was the face of, of Apple and I'm the face of clout, like you can directly connect with me. You can DM me. We can have a conversation. And even if I don't reply to you, you can feel like we're friends or we're in some way connected because of all the content that I'm posting that's resonating with you. And so right. it's kind of intentional versus unintentional, but the same, they're the same thing to me, being the face of and, and building a personal brand. And like they're one in the same, except you can build a personal brand and not have a billion dollar business and still be hugely successful. True. Yeah, I guess I'm interested in the semantics of it because you do have a, a specific page for yourself and you have a page for your brand. So if they were the same, I, I'd bet you wouldn't split them up like that. So I guess what is the logic then in having your own as opposed to just being the face of clout, for example? Do you mean in the sense of we have a company page and I have my personal content? Like right, personal. you guys like have different, you have different content. Yeah, so yeah, because they're different brands, right? So like Clout, so to me, Clout is a, its own brand. I, I'm the founder of Clout, but Clout is its own brand. It's, you know, it's a, it's a personal branding agency. It has a function, it has a personality. It has a bit of sass, a bit of cheek, like that. Like the, the Clout brand, if you look at any of our content is very, very, like clout, like <laughs> that's like our thing. Yes. On my side, I'm a brand too. We're not the same brand, we're, we're two different brands. So instead of it being like clout is Amelia, Amelia just happens to be the founder of clout. And Amelia Sordell has a stand up brand that also is about personal branding, but is much more, um, what's the right word? Much more opinionated. Like I'll say things on my, on my personal page that I would never say on my company account because it's my page. So right. I'm allowed to say those things on my page and I have, I'm 100% okay with the consequences of what I'm saying. Um, and so I have a very different brand to clout. And I think it's important that anyone listening to this, who's thinking I'm a founder and I want to do this. And this sounds really interesting. 10 X for each company brand. Wow. Maybe I should be doing this. Like it's really important that you do separate the two because number one, if you merge the two, that's not scalable. Like if you're trying to scale your business and you are directly attached to that business, that business is only as scalable as you, right? And then one person can't grow, you know, an agency to where I want it to grow to. So I need everyone in my business to be building their personal brand. So that has the impact on the company brand. And I also need clout to be building its company brand too, because, you know, we need that to stand up alone and by itself. Um, so it's really important, first of all, that you make that distinction. But second of all, if you don't have two separate brands and you're just regurgitating the stuff that's coming out on your company page, on your personal page, you may as well not even bother having one because the whole the whole point of personal branding, the whole reason why it works so well is trust. And you can't build trust with people if you're just regurgitating the corporate bullshit that you've been pushing out on your company page. Like it just removes the whole person out. People spend a lot of time focusing on the branding piece of personal branding and not enough on the personal piece of personal branding. And the more, more personal you are, the more authentic you are, the more you can give people behind the curtain kind of eye, like look into who you are and what you do as an individual, the better your brand will be. Right. So for the sake of argument, let's, let's play around with this, this idea. So it's not so much that 
Steve Jobs had his own personal brand. He was just really good at being the face of Apple, right? Because oh, he, no, his, I disagree. I think that I think he did have his own brand. What was, how was his brand different him. than Apple? Because he like to go back to what I was saying earlier, like Steve Jobs has his own quotes. He has his own aesthetic. He had his own his 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 identity and um, brand was so different to Apple. Apple was all about challenging the status quo and like supporting the underdog and being the alternative to the masses and being kind of like the inclusive brand, right? Like it was kind of like the misfits went to Apple. Yeah. Steve Jobs was the total opposite of that. He, if you read articles about him and how he's communicated and how he spoke, he was a tyrant. He was like, almost like, you know, if you don't agree with me, then you're out, like fit in or fuck off. Like, and that's not what Apple was about. So I think they had very different brands, um, actually. And I think probably part of the reason why Apple became so successful is because Steve Jobs' brand was so challenging and was so against the grain and was so um, brush, like, you know, really abrasive in, in many ways, um, which is not what Apple's about. Even like, you know, the Apple brand hasn't changed since it was founded. We all, even, even though it's like the, now the mass adopted smartphone, I still feel like everyone who buys an Apple product, I use, you know, Mac and iPhone and iPod, AirPods and all the things you, you feel like I'm a creative. So I have to use that. I'm like different. Right. You, I have to use that. Whereas I don't think Steve Jobs was that at all. I think he right. was just a good businessman. <laughs> That's fair. Okay, no, that's interesting. Um, I, I think that's important for people to realize is that like, you know, you're not just the face of something like you're you are standing on something unique that is your own. And I and I think that's important for people to realize because it's like you said, like, your, you know, Amelia page is not the same as your clout page at all. Like people can go and check out the content like yours, like your personal branding in my observation and interaction with it has been very like interactive right like your personal brand is very interactive you're always asking polls posing questions making great points and um whereas like clout is not as interactive it's just like talking a lot about what it does or at least for the most part I, I haven't followed clout quite as closely and i honestly just followed you on instagram because <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly seeing you on linkedin which is just uh it's fun so um that so one of the things you know you're talking about you know having people inside of your business building their personal brand and stuff like that too is that something that you is like not like a requirement but something that's like kind of understood when it comes to bringing on new people into your company is that like a part of the culture that you're creating as far as everyone who's bringing on to your team also is really pushing that personal brand piece yeah it's really important like not just practically, but it's really important that people buy into the vision of what we're trying to like, trying to do here. Like we're basically trying to create a new category of marketing, which is personal branding. Like although yeah. people understand that this exists as a concept outside of kind of job seekers, people don't really see this as a way of kind of getting ahead, like get, gaining a competitive edge against their competition, unless you're like Elon Musk or whatever, who obviously understood this was a, a pretty big game changer at least 15 years ago. Um, so it's really important, number one, that the people that we hire are bought into that vision and they want to come on this journey with us because we're a startup, right? So it is scrappy as fuck. <laughs> it is like, <laughs> like we are in the pigs, rolling around in dirt, like in the trenches, like fighting for our life every single day. And unless you really believe in uh, what we're trying to achieve by doing those things, you're never going to be able to do them 
as well, right? So that's first of all, and that goes for every business, right? You want to hire for values always. So it's really, really important people buy into the personal branding vision and therefore as a result, part of their job, of course, is to build their personal brand. Like, it's so funny. We have, a, you know how most contracts with new employers will have like a section where it's like social media policy. So like we mm-hmm. have like, you know, whatever it is, like 11.1 social media policy. And it's like, cloud doesn't have a social media policy. Just use good judgment. <laughs> like like, <laughs> like that's, that's it. But like use good judgment. Like if, if you would be embarrassed to show that post to your mom, then you probably shouldn't post it. Otherwise, everything is a free for all. I want you to talk about topics that you're comfortable and confident in talking about in not just personal branding, because, hey, like some of our team are super junior and they're only just starting to build their personal brand. So it would make no sense for them to be like, hey guys, here's how to build your personal brand in five steps. And they've only got like 50 followers, but they can take people on that journey and be like, so I've just joined Clout. This is really exciting. I'm really bought into what they're doing. Here's what I've learned in my first week about how I built, like how I've gained 50 followers in my first week. So it's right. like, how can we articulate where the team members are in their lives and what they care about, but also still kind of attract an engaged audience that will then hopefully convert into an audience and attention for Clout. For sure. Well, I think so. For me, this brings up a couple of good questions that I think would be really helpful, for, especially for people who are running teams, which is, I would love to hear, because um, I've, I've hired or at least outsourced some work to other people, and it can be a little hit or miss. So what kind of things have you noticed about the people that you've hired, being that they are kind of like, in a way, next level people, because they're really thinking about their personal brand and their future and and building those things too. What other good qualities or things have you noticed about those kinds of people now that you've brought a number of people on your team, which congratulations, by the way, you broke through the one of the barriers that some people will never get past, which is being moving from a solopreneur to an entrepreneur, (laughs) which because you have a team of what, like, seven or six? Yeah, we're seven with a part timer, so like, seven and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's that's a huge accomplishment. So that's super exciting. And um, yeah, so I'd love to hear kind of what your experience has been in hiring like those kind of, I don't know, more specific kind of people. Yeah. So it's been I I won't lie. It's been a real like trial and error. And I do think I kind of went into this on somewhat of a front foot because I came from a recruitment industry background. So I really understood like employee engagement, talent acquisition, like recruitment marketing, like understanding how to interview people well and like all the things. Um, But I think the biggest thing for us is is values first always, right? So the way that we advertise roles really sets the tone for this whole hiring piece. And I don't think people spend enough time on how they advertise roles, right? You've got to understand that when you put out a job ad of any kind, um, it really sets the tone for the types of people that you're going to attract and the types of people that you're going to repel. And unfortunately, most people just put their job description as their job ad. And so they're looking for this exciting, curious, innovative person who can come in and just really shake things up. And yet here is the competitive salary. You are required to do this, that, and the other. Like it just doesn't match. So you starting off on the right foot with a really good job ad is important and our job ads are elite I have to say we do a very good job of job ads um we had one on TikTok go viral we had like four over 400 applications from that one oh wow 30,000 views we got on that job ad um we had um one on LinkedIn go viral as well and actually it's how I hired my um my first full-time hire Sarah was off the back of that that job ad Um, I basically was just like this is a crazy shit show. 
if you can do this, 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 and this, oh, and you really love social media, like, let me know if you're interested. And we just had like, because it was so raw and so honest and there was none of this yeah. corporate bullshit of like, here are the requirements and, and the application process, I literally tailored to what we would be looking for. So I said, hey, I don't need to know your CV because I have zero interest whether you you know have, have had experience or not. But what I care about is tell me three things about yourself in like three. And I didn't say how much they could talk about themselves or how little they could talk about themselves. I just said, give me three bullet points about yourself and the link to your LinkedIn profile. That's all I need to decide whether or not I want to interview you. And so it was a really great way of qualifying people out because you're not making them adhere to this stupid, like, here's my CV, here's my whatever. You're giving them creative license to kind of sell themselves to you. So of course, 90% of the people that applied were like, I'm interesting, I'm funny, I'm passionate. So we were like, great. Straight away, none of those are going to be a yes. Like they're all gone. So we got rid of 90% of all those applications. And then you got the 10% who really put thought into it and, you know, really kind of came at it from a place of like, here's why I think I can add value. Here's why you, I think you can add value, value to me. And so we kind of whittled it down. Um, so the hiring bit really starts with that, that application and that, that, that process. And then when you get to the actual interview piece, we do things a little bit differently. And I think this is where I hopefully can add some value to anyone listening to this, thinking about how, if, and when, and you know, what the next hire might be. Um, so we do the whole typical like phone interview qualifying. Like I ask them about themselves. They ask me about me. I kind of give them the whole spiel of what we do. And then we kind of mutually decide whether or not we want to take it forward to a you know, kind of more formal um, interview, which is normally some kind of like Zoom call, obviously over COVID, but more recently it's been face-to-face. And how we structure that is half of that interview is based on a task, a fictitious task that we've set you because, hey, there's nothing worse than companies trying to get free work out of interviewees, right? So we do a fictitious task that's based on whatever it is that they're meant to be doing in that job function. So if we're hiring a copywriter, we'll be like, right, here's a brief for three clients on four different platforms. What have you got? Like, give us your best shot. What would you create for that client? Um, If you are coming in as a graphic designer, we'll give you a similar brief and be like, right, here's a flip book. Here's the copy for it. Give us what you got. And like, and so it's kind of like based on the work they'll actually be doing. And so for the first 30, and we set this before the interview. So for the first 30 minutes, they just talk us through their thought process. Like, it's like, hey, I did this and I did that. And that's why I put that accent there. And I really, I got rid of that copy because actually I know you gave it to me, but I didn't think it was relevant. So we want them to take us through their thought process. And then the second, that's a skills kind of assessment. The second part of that interview is we want that employee or potential employee to interview us as their next employer. So we're like, ask anything. There is no, nothing off limit. Ask about our revenue, our profit, our cash flow. Like if you like, if, we want, if we've got exit plans, like there is nothing off the table. And why we love doing that. Number one, we think it's really unfair that most um, candidates ever get a chance to really ask those hard questions it's normally like so have you got any more questions for me in like the last five minutes of the interview right right? and of course they might have thousands of questions but they feel so under the pump that they've only got five minutes to ask them they never really get those questions answered and then they join the business and they're 90 days in and they hate their job and the employer's not happy and blah 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 so we do the third kind of 30 to 40 minute thing but the second part of that and which is the reason why we're so interested in seeing what the questions they do ask is curiosity is such an important part of what we do and creativity is such an important part of what we do we're trying to literally build an entire category of marketing so if you're not curious if you're not innovative you don't ask the hard questions and challenge stuff you're probably not for us so really like leaning in and and listening to the types of questions that people are coming with um helps us really kind of like you know 
uh what's the i don't know what the, there's like a saying in the uk where they say like it's it's you get rid of you remove the wheat from the chaff like it's like separating yeah. like the good bits um so some of the questions we've been asked have been really hard to answer and i'm like oh this person's great because <laughs> you kind of want to be challenged right you want to feel like the people that you're hiring can can rock the boat a little bit and bring in a little bit of spice and not just conform to what the people that you've already got in the business so that that hiring process has been amazing for us um, we're also thinking of bringing in like personality testing as well not for like qualifying out people but just to understand them a bit more and yeah. give us like a bit more of a psychometric element to it so I'm not like sold on the whole like psychometric testing thing but the personality thing I think is really important because to understand if you're like an introvert or an extrovert or you're a defender or you're an attacker or you're a farmer or like what all those things I think is really helpful in understanding whether that person's going to fit in the role in which you're hiring them for. If you're an account manager, you've got to be an extrovert, like not completely, yeah. you can be an introvert too, but you have to have extra extrovert qualities. So if you go through this amazing hiring process and because the person's so comfortable with you, they're really bubbly and lovely and then you get them in front of clients and they shrink, like that's not going to work, right? So yeah. Um, yeah, that's how we've managed to hire good people. No, that, that makes sense. And I know, um, I'm sure you've looked into it, but have you looked into any of the Enneagram stuff, Enneagram numbers at all? It's, like when you uh, get like the graph that's like points all over the place, like at the end no, of the No, it's, right? uh, it's just like one through nine and it's like nine okay. like main um, personality like categories, uh, but they're based on your core desires and core fears. Um, and so it's, it's more than just, um, you know, introverted, extroverted, it's like what actually like motivates people to make certain decisions. Like for example, um, I'm an Enneagram five and without going into it in depth, uh, essentially like one of my traits that I fear is essentially, uh, completely running out of energy. And so it's like a, a core fear of mine that I wasn't even aware of. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, that's why like I get so grumpy when I'm tired and I'm like asked to do more things because at the end of the day, like I'm trying to like house whatever energy I have left for me. So I don't run out. Right. And mm -hmm. so I was like, Oh, that makes sense. And so, and like, so each one has different core desires and core fears. And so what I think it's super fun on like a leadership level is you begin to realize um, just from the number, what kind of things might um, fill up or energize a certain person based on what their core desires are, as opposed to someone else. And it's like having that flexibility of like, okay, well, maybe like pay isn't the exciting part for you. Maybe having like variety in your job is exciting because at the end of the day, your core desire is not to be like shoved in a box or mm -hmm. your core desire is to be super fun and exciting. And so then at that point, it's like, okay, well, like maybe you'll start at this position, but maybe you'll end up maybe as an account manager because someone who's having like loves to have a lot of fun will make like create some great vibes with the client and it'll be more fun for them. So I don't know, I would definitely look into it. It's, it's super fun. Um, I haven't like used it any sort of scientific way, but it's been really helpful and it's like super good for interpersonal communications because then why someone gets pissed off all the time becomes very obvious in a way that's like helpful for them and everyone else. Yeah, so. I need to be one of those because I get, it's so funny because like I'm Sue, I've got ADHD, right? So I, I have this thing where like, big stuff doesn't bother me at all like we could the whole house could be burning down and i'll be like it's cool we have insurance everyone's safe everyone's healthy we're fine 
but then there'll be like something that's like really really like tiny in detail and I'll just like hyper focus on it and be like this is a problem <laughs> so like I, I think I think doing that would be really interesting to like for sure do it with the whole team as well like it would help us all communicate better which is really important like we did a you know to your point about um kind of building teams that are innovative and stuff like we did a um a workshop recently on radical candor because I think it's really important that everyone communicates in the same way and understands um that kind of type of communication so there's two of us in the team that are really candid like myself obviously <laughs> I'm sure you can tell it's one of those <laughs> no two I know right shock um but one of my other team members is the same like we are super direct with our feedback if you ask for it we will give it to you there will be no caveat to it doesn't mean you're not an amazing person doesn't mean you haven't done amazing work in you know a previous time whatever it's just this particular thing is not good enough and here's here's why right. um and that's how we operate as a business one of our core values is care deeply challenge directly and it's all about guidance and feedback and so running that workshop was really important to get everyone on the same page and understand that like your ego has no place here um, my ego has no place here if i fucked up i want you to tell me that too and and so i can improve and understand and it's not coming from a place of tripping you up or trying to make you look silly or you know bring you down at all if anything it's to improve you and help you do a better job next time and and um so the whole team does better um so yeah we've rolled that out and it's it's done pretty well so far well and it just eliminates a lot of like conflict and angst in the workplace because at the end of the day like one of the main drivers in my opinion of some of the angst is uh lack of clarity on whether or not people are doing right or wrong and kind of like covering up a lack of willingness to challenge by being nice and so you end up creating the situation where like people aren't really sure if they're doing a good job or not or whether or not so and so is actually mad at them or not and it's like if, if people were direct you would just cut through all that bs and like everyone it would be just like a much more like it's still a challenging environment like it the word challenge is literally in your phrase, but like at the end of the day, it's a more comfortable work environment because everyone knows where they stand. And that's super valuable, I think. And sounds like that's the culture that you're actively creating. It's really important to me. Like one of the things that we ask in our performance reviews to me, so once we do finish doing all those kind of review stuff about the person that I then flip it back on me and say, right, what do I suck at? And what am I really good at? So like, what are the things you want me to stop doing? And what are the things that I should be doing more of? And that, and those conversations are really, really confrontational sometimes. People will be like, hey, Amelia, you really suck at communication because this happened and that happened. And like, you didn't update Monday. And so that then pushed my thing. And I love hearing that. Like, obviously I don't love hearing I fucked up, but I like hearing it because it helps me improve, right? Like it helps me become a better, hopefully leader, manager, human being, all the things. And I can't improve, like, performance reviews are always very focused on the, the employee um but if you're the if the employee is the only one in the room in, improving then the company will never improve i've totally never been a part of companies like that <laughs> it's i'm kidding it's super frustrating um and then the, and then they all like never really have a great idea of what like doing better looks like and it's like mm, well that's not very helpful <laughs> <laughs> do better like, why in what we way hold on to people why do people keep leaving it's like right. oh, what, why <laughs> yeah hmm. interesting um so one thing else that i noticed about your team which is obvious but i was at least curious on why you do it is they're they're pretty young um in general and i you know for me i honestly think that's an advantage especially in the world that we live in but i love to hear your take on why it is that you kind of hire a little younger 
you know what it's not been intentional um i, I suppose so for context we've we've in the entirety of cat we've had three interns two of which we've ended up hiring full-time because they did such a good job for us and we still have one who's an intern so like just under half the business are like entry level first job type vibes um but the rest of the hires like that's not been intentional so um danielle who is our marketing executive used to work for me um and when i left clout i poached her and took her sorry when i left the business and started clout i poached her with me i was like i'm leaving do you want to come and she was like yeah <laughs> so nice. we kind of ran off hand in hand into the sunset into the startup world and she like literally worked for my kitchen table for the first like six months um that was really cool um and then sarah is um has come from another agency um and so is megan so we the our entire team is built on talent and skills as opposed to on experience like one of my things is i don't really mind whether you have no experience in what we're doing but you have to have the skills to do the job um yeah. so you could have been an account manager in a completely different um type of company before but as long as you have that account management skills and understand how project management works then there's a high chance that you'll do very well here um so yeah it wasn't intentional but i do i do think it's quite telling of like what we're trying to do like the the, the younger people maybe kind of get it and want to be a part of it and they, they really understand like where the world is going like you know with social media and influencer marketing and like you know nfts and crypto and like this is all kind of interconnected um so having people that are really interested in those types of things which without being stereotypical in my experience is typically the young younger kind of gen zers um it's only going to benefit us and our clients but yeah we as we grow i'm sure it will it will even out um significantly i have no doubt right well yeah and i you know for me i you know i, I feel very similar as you do where it's like um it gives me a chance to stay relevant, not only because, you know, of any sort of research, uh, you know, whatnot I'm doing on my own, but like literally this person lives in the world that I'm trying to be relevant in. Like they're just sitting right there. They can tell me anything I need to know about what's happening and like what's cool or not. And, you know, what I mean, like now that I'm like 35, it's like now I got to like work at it a little bit, but I have people on my team that can help. And like that's super valuable to me. And, you know, we have, you know, I'm assuming a, a large amount of businesses are like, oh man, we don't, we just don't know what to do these days. Like, how do you make a TikTok? And it's like, I literally have someone who's like the perfect age who does that all the time. And it's like, so like for me, it's not even like, I don't have to wonder. I have the resource, boom, right there. And yeah, so exactly. I think it's a huge advantage. And like you said, at the end of the day, it's like, can they do the job? And if they can do the job, who gives a crap? I also think though, there is like, so I'm I'm a big believer in diversity of thought. And I think you can only have diversity of thought if you have different people in the business age included, right? So I do think at some point, like, like that's something we have to look at. Like we're not gonna grow the agency that I wanna grow without having people in the business who've been there, done that. Like at least in some capacity, like they're gonna have to have either built their own business or help scale one or whatever. Like that wisdom is really, really, really valuable. Um, and I think ageism is on both, you know, ends of the spectrum. It's the, you know, you get past 50 and people are like, oh, you know, you're not relevant anymore. Or, you know, you're under 25 and you don't have enough experience. Both of those are complete bullshit. Like, you know, if you're over 50 and you've been in business for however many years, like there is so much wisdom you can bring to my team that none of us will know. Like, 
there are ways in which you do things that we haven't even thought about yet because you've got X amount of years experience on top of us and as a result have better skills. Like, so I think it's really important that people make the distinction between experience and skills. Experience does not mean your skills, but if your experience has a higher chance, you're better at those skills, right? So if we get out of this mentality of hire for skills over experience, then you should always end up in a good spot, regardless of the age of the candidate, which is obviously illegal to focus on anyway. I think it's really important. I am at home, but like, <laughs> I would never hire someone based on their age, but diversity of thought and diversity of age is really important. Well, it's all about the job they're getting hired for, right? Like you, you're not going to hire a Gen Zer to help you like know how to like do a merger acquisition. You know I what mean, I mean? It depends whether or not they were skilled. Like, it, you know, if, if there was a 24 year old who literally exited his first business at 12 and then has since then, since then built like eight unicorns and maybe I would, but like, it's all about the skill set, right? Well, yeah, I guess I'm making a broad stroke, stroke on percentages, like the percentages of people under 25 that have you know, handled a merger is, is probably pretty small as opposed to the over 50 crowd in the same way that, you know, they're probably going to be occasionally people over 50 who know how to properly use TikTok. But that's yeah. a, that percentage is pretty small in comparison to the people who have other skill sets. So yeah, it's like you said, you know, it's it's the job, it's the skill set that's required. And, and, uh, and certainly, I guess for me, since I'm on like the content making side, people who have that like younger bend to them is is valuable, at least for now for me. And like you said, it's at the end of the day, it's once you start building out your team, then there's other things you're gonna have to worry about in which experience and potentially age plays a factor, which is, which is exciting. Because then like you said, you have a diverse workplace where it's not just your opinion that matters. And that's hugely valuable, because then you get to see a more 360 view of what's happening. I think also as a team member, so like not someone leading a business, it's really valuable to have more experienced people on your team because you have someone to learn from. If you if you don't yeah. have experienced team members, then you're just kind of chucking mud at a wall and seeing what sticks. Whereas if you have someone who's been there, done that, they can come in and be like, I, can, I know a better way of doing this. And it's kind of like a shortcut. It's much more efficient. Oh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. So now to get into some, because thank you very much for sharing all of your perspective on, on actually building the business and your team. That's super valuable. And I think it's valuable too, because, you know, for the people, you know, that I'm talking to, you know, people who are marketing directors or CMOs and stuff like that too, they have a team of people that they're trying to work with and, and leverage to do well. And so that's uh, super valuable that you shared all that. So thank you. But um definitely wanted to move into some of the marketing side. So we, we talked about like not making vanilla content and you had mentioned in your keynote that I have watched uh, a little bit of that, you know, just that kind of like corporate -y, uh, content, whether it's copy or whatnot, um, just doesn't tend to fly. So what are some of the things that you're seeing that people are doing that's really standing out? Uh, that's really captured your attention right now and is performing well, whether it's stuff that you guys are doing or other stuff you're seeing other people do. The stuff that performs well and that performs well on every channel and that will always perform well is when people actually have an opinion. Like the worst thing you can do in life and on social and in business is not stand for anything. Like th there's a reason why it's called thought provoking because you have to provoke to get the thought. Like you have to pick a hole in something, be a cha like challenge something. Um, so we always say internally, like you either have to inspire or enrage in order to get any kind of response from people. But enrage doesn't need to be like you're being rude or provocative. It just is like, hey, this thing's bullshit and I'm calling it out. Or like, does anyone else think that this thing could be done better? Or 
like, you know, challenging something in your industry that's not working as well. Like that's really enraging to people. It gets people riled up. And then inspiring is like, look at this amazing thing we did or how awesome is that person that did that thing? Or um, let's celebrate how ASOS is, you know, giving people, you know, paid leave to, um, you know, go through menopause or like what, anything that relates to whoever it is you're trying to relate to and triggers an emotional response in them will always do well. And so that's why having, having the ability to sort of say, hey, I'm going to have an opinion whether people like it or not. That is the most powerful thing that you can do in marketing as a brand and as an individual. And it's no surprise that the, the brands online, the ones with the biggest personalities and are probably a little bit kind of cocky and sassy are the ones that have the biggest followings. Like look at Gymshark, you know, um, Wendy's, um, like Sainsbury's, um, Burger King, Papa John's, like they're all like super like, oh, I'm going to go and like, I'm going to go over here and start a fight on Twitter. Like it's that kind of attitude because that's their brand and they're not afraid to like stick their nose out and, you know, stick their head above the parapet and maybe get it chopped off because they know that eventually it's going to pay off. Yeah. And I think Wendy's is like such a great case study on that. Like that, or at least that's the one that I'm the most familiar with where it's like, they're never really like, they're never really downright mean and they're not like out there just like shutting everyone down, but they just like, they have these like playful jabs is how I describe it where it's like, okay, like you can tell like the person's having a little bit of fun, like, like actually having fun and, and having like those little playful jabs. I think it's fun. And I think that, um, it's kind of like what you said earlier about your guys' uh, social media policies. You do have to have a little bit of like wisdom and, and have some judgment on that too, because like, you know, we can't, overlook the fact that there is such a thing as cancel culture people do say the right things and the next day they don't have a business right and so i think having a little bit of discernment that is helpful and i think wendy's has struck a really great balance where it's like have it playful have it be fun um do a little jab but don't be mean you know and i think they they balance that really well humble rebellion yeah there you go like there's like there's humility in it which i think is why it's so endearing so how do you, how would someone, if you're speculating, or maybe if, you know, with stuff that you've done for your business, you know, one thing I hear a lot from people, especially in bigger corporations, is that there's so many people in the approval process that sometimes by the end of it, the life has been sucked out of it, right? And so um, in your experience, how do you balance, like, making sure that what you send out isn't going to tank a brand? But at the same time, not having so many people, you know, so many opinions that it just sucks the life out of the content that you're making. So the way that we do things internally is we have what we call cornerstone interviews. So we interview our clients, um, you know, based on whatever it is that we want them to be known for. So if we're interviewing um, the CEO of a SaaS business, we will be asking them things about you know, that might be relevant to their audience. Like if they're trying to use their platform to attract VC funding, like we might be talking about like business wins and like innovation, like whatever. And we interview these people. And then we take what their the answers that they've said and then we turn that into text posts, tweets, threads on Twitter, um, you know, flip books, um, video content, all the things. And so everything comes from them. And so the only real approval process is I take a glance over it and go, it's not quite punchy enough. Can we just just amp it up a little bit because as we all know like the way that we communicate like this is fine but when we write content 
in written copy, for some reason we all have this weird thing that happens to us where we kind of dull everything down and everything gets caveated and like we don't want to offend anyone and all the things. So like our whole policy internally is that you write how you speak. And so making sure that all the content is, you know, writing how it was, you know, it's written how it was spoken is really important. So we that's really the only approval process we have internally until it goes to the client. Um, and then the client will be like, this is great. Or actually I wouldn't say that. And we'll be like, yeah, you did. Here's the transcription. <laughs> like, you know, like that type of thing. Um, and then it goes out. So like there, we, we try and keep as many cooks out of the kitchen as humanly possible. Because I think when you have too many people, as you said, in the kitchen, particularly with content, it just it just makes it bland, over-seasoned, too long, not punchy enough, loses the point. Um, and some good tips as well for making sure that your copy like keeps to the point is like only talk about one thing. Like don't try and complicate the issue. Don't add in all these other side factors, like turn those into different pieces of content. Like there are too many posts on LinkedIn, particularly that are actually super fucking interesting, but have lost all their spice because they've gone off on a tangent about something else. Um, so short, punchy, write how you speak, get all the cooks out of the kitchen, just make sure it's the, you know, the sous chef and the, the head chef that I'm getting out on the par. Right. So, so you're pulling from pre-existing content and essentially like repurposing it over and over again. But what if, they don't have a lot of content like how and you know and let's be honest executives are super busy so how do you guys coordinate on that is that just like merely them actually putting in the work and dedication and time to spend time with you guys to create some of that content or how do you guys go about doing that yeah so we interview them on a monthly basis so that's like a non-negotiable for us because it's really hard to build a personal brand if you don't get access to the person yes um, so yeah agree. So like a non-negotiable we've tried doing it before hey like we've worked with you know some pretty big companies and they have these huge marketing departments always tanks you need to have access to the person in which you're writing for um so yeah the, the, and the interview thing can work two ways right if you're listening to this and you're like i'm a solopreneur who the hell is going to interview me you just buddy up with someone like we could be interviewing each other right now and then take sound bites off this just get this transcribed on otter and boom i now have a month's worth of content so it's it's a really simple process um you can also do things like you know regurgitate stuff that you haven't written but you quite like so hey is there an, a forbes article that you thought was good screenshot it on your phone crop a little bit give content you know give your thoughts and opinions on it and share it as a post like there are entire Instagram pages dedicated to screenshots of tweets and, you know, promotion, like, you know, things they've taken off other people's um, pages and then just said, hey, like credit this person. This is really cool. Nice. Well, that's good. I mean, like, yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely, it, it can be challenging to get a hold of those people, but that's awesome that they're making the commitment to you guys because, like you said, it is personal branding. So there's a certain level of it that if it's not personal, <laughs> it's not really it will be what, vanilla. Uh, you're hoping for. Yeah. Personal. And this is the death to vanilla. So we right. can't we can't be having vanilla content. <laughs> Absolutely not. So cool. Well, hey, you um I think we're coming up on our time here. And I want to make sure I respect your your schedule as well as my own. And so uh thank you so much for being on here. I really, really appreciate it. Um, if you could just share where people can find you online, that would be amazing, especially the place you are at the most. Oh God, where am I at the most? Like incognito <laughs> TikTok, <laughs> but I don't post anywhere near enough. I'm just like a scroller at like 11 o'clock at night. Um, right. but I, LinkedIn is where I spend most of my time. I'm the only Amelia Sordell in the world. So if you type in Amelia Sordell into Google, all of my handles will pop up. Cool. We'll make sure to add those in the description below. So thank you so much for being on here. Really appreciate it.
Thank you so much for having me. This is a ball. I wanna cause no problems. I just wanna live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, but you know when you see imposters. We know how to read them faces, same way you know how to read them comments. If you wanna talk, let's talk, but around here, make sure you walk and your talk is constant. Thank you so much for watching this episode of the Death to Vanilla podcast. Now, if you made it this far, I'm guessing you probably heard something that was inspiring or helpful, and we would love to hear about it. So if you could drop that information in the comments or shoot me an email, steven at burkhartcreativeagency.com, that would go a long way to helping us choose guests and create content that really bring you value. Now, Instagram is my favorite social media platform, but I'm sure you have yours, and so we encourage you to find us on your favorite platform so that you have a chance to learn more about marketing that can help you out. Now they say, a rising tide rises all boats. So we ask that you would like, subscribe, and follow us so that way the traffic that we get to our channel helps all of the guests that have been on. Our traffic is their traffic and that helps everybody out and it's super easy to do. So if you could rate us, like us, add us, follow us, whatever you need to do to help us out, that would go a long way. So we appreciate you and hope to catch you on the next episode of The Death.